Hebrews chapter 6, and if you're able to stand, let's stand together, and we're going to read beginning in verse 9. And you can tell by the first word that we're kind of jumping into the middle of a context. But, beloved, so we're going to catch up on what some of the things that are on the writer's mind when he says, but, beloved. But let's just start there in verse 9. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. If you ever had a, if you ever said to your children or your parents ever said to you, you can do better than this. We are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have shewed toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do shew the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end that you be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, we're going to spend some time in verse 10, and that's really a, kind of our focus tonight, but we'll go some other places before we get to that. But if you notice in verse 10, let's look at that again before we pray. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have shewed toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Notice he says, you have ministered and do minister. So let's have prayer and we're going to talk about ministering to the saints tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Sunday night service. God, for the opportunity to gather together, to sing to you, to praise you, to declare truth in song. Lord, that you are faithful to us that you've been good to us, you've taken good care of us, and we rejoice in that tonight. God, forgive us for when we take things for granted and treat these great blessings that we live with every day as though it was just sort of a status quo or ho-hum. God, forgive us. We ought to be grateful for your goodness to us. And Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have not only to be ministered unto by the Lord, but to minister to others. And I pray tonight you would help us as we think about this subject to just be refreshed, to be reminded, to be committed, to be the servant you'd have us to be. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The writer of Hebrews, many people believe it was the Apostle Paul. I tend to believe it was the Apostle Paul, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. But in, the, in this particular section of Hebrews, he's contrasting two groups of people, two general groups of people. And we're going to talk about that in the way of introduction. But that's why he said in verse 9, we are persuaded better things of you. So better than what? If he, if he says, I'm, I'm, we're persuaded better things of you than this, well, what is he talking about? Well, to see that, we have to go back and... Hebrews chapter 5, and we're going to look at a few verses at the end of chapter 5 and then bring our way up to our text. But in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11, there's sort of a rebuke. Not sort of a rebuke, it is a rebuke. 
uh, to where they were spiritually. Look in chapter 5 and verse 11. He says, Of whom we have many, of talking about Christ, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you're dull of hearing. Now that's not a compliment. Dull of hearing. That's, um, and that, by the way, that's some, where some of us are. I'm not going to ask for a raising of hand, but I know some of you have the same problem I have sometimes, that you're, you're, sometimes you're not hearing as much as you are hearing or you're hearing things that weren't really there. It's a big problem to have. And, but it's, it's, there's a worse problem than being hard of hearing physically, and that's being dull of hearing spiritually. And that's where we're not hearing really what God has for us. And so he's kind of rebuking them. And he says in verse 12, just to carry it further, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles, the oracles of God. So when they should have been teaching, they needed to, they needed to repeat a grade. That's not always pleasant when a child didn't get it the first time. They've got to go back over it again. You know, you've taken third grade for seven years in a row. And so that's what he's saying to them. You should be teaching others. And by the way, if you've been saved for a while, you should be teaching others. You say, well, I'm not called to teach. We're all commanded to share the gospel and teach. So he says, you, when you should be a teacher, you need to learn it again. You need to go back through the class again. You need to, uh, someone teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and are become, you've become as such as have need of milk. Become means you weren't already there. You've been through this before, but now you've become like one that just needs, needs the, the milk of the word and not strong meat. Verse 13, for everyone that is skillful, that is used useth milk, is unskillful in the word of righteousness. He is a babe. You're like a babe in Christ. So he's, these, these are the things that the writer of Hebrews is saying to these readers. And in chapter 6 and verse 1, he challenges them to go beyond the basics, babely. Therefore, leave the principles of the doctrine of Christ, leaving them. Let us go on into perfection. Perfection meaning maturity and growth. And if you were to say tonight, I don't really think I'm really mature spiritually, then let's take this as an encouragement to let's go on to that. We're pressing toward that. Let us go on under perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. Let's, we want to go beyond really this, the basics and go on to maturity. And verse 3 says, and this will we do if God permit. We, and when it says this will do, it doesn't mean if God is willing. It means if God will help us. We need God to help us. We want to go on to maturity. You know, this ought to bring back to your mind maybe some messages that Pastor Weiss has brought from 1 John about little children and young men and fathers. There's the stages of spiritual growth. And every time I read that and hear that, it challenges me. Young men are those who have, the word of God abides in them and they've overcome the wicked one. Those are strong, mature believers. The Bible calls them young men. And if we're not, if we're not overcoming the wicked one, if the word of God is not abiding in us, then we're still little children. So the, again, this is another encouragement to grow, to grow in faith and um, 
Then look, if you look at chapter 6 and verse 4, we're just quickly getting down to kind of an introduction down to where we started. But one of the things he's going to write about is those who have tasted God's grace but did not continue, which we probably all know a lot of people like that. So let's just read through this. This is, without a doubt, one of the most debated passages in the Bible. Well, let's look at it in verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, unto repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. So it's impossible for the one who has fallen away to be brought back to repentance. That's a, a, a clear statement, an emphatic statement. It's not even debatable. And so this, by the way, this falling away is not a typical someone slipped into sin, someone, that's not even a good terminology, but someone fell in temptation, they, 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 they had a setback. That's not talking about it. This falling away basically means a complete abandonment of the faith. It's impossible for a person who's fallen away to be renewed again to repentance. But there's one thing in that that would be good for you to remember, and that is this. This cannot be disputed. It is not possible for a person who's fallen away to ever be renewed. So the idea that a person can be saved and then lose their salvation and then be saved again and then lose it again is not taught in the Bible. It is not possible for a person who falls away to be renewed again. So this person, it, we read about in verses 4, 5, and 6, it says in verse 4, they were enlightened well, think about what that means. Who've tasted of the heavenly gift. I think, it's, I think it's, there's, a, there's a difference in tasting of the heavenly gift and partaking of the heavenly gift. And were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God. So this person, whoever this is describing, had an experience. They had a religious experience. God was working in their life. They were, they were, ta they were tasting the goodness of God. But the question is, was it salvation? It was, an, it, it was something that happened to them. Was it salvation? And I just want to say to you, because a person is enlightened, because a person has revelation or insight, because a person is exposed to light doesn't mean they receive the light. They've just seen some light. And this matter of the taste of the heavenly gift, I don't think eternal life comes from tasting. It comes from taking, from receiving, from from eating, you know, Jesus said that you have to eat his flesh and drink his blood, which is another word, you have to actually bring Christ into your life and just partook, partook of the Holy Ghost, to me just means that God was working in their life and it says even the, the, the powers to come. But again, that just means God's power. I, and what I think about when I read this, and by the way, I've kind of, back, kind of gone back and forth over 45 years and really what I think this passage is saying, but I think it's telling us a person can be convinced of their sinfulness, a person can have the light shine into their life, a person can know that Christ died for their sins, even feel some kind of 
remorse over the way they've lived their life. It even sense that God is working and convicting and still not be born again. They're still not, just because a person has some kind of experience doesn't mean they're saved. And how do you know whether they are or not? And one has to do with the fruit of their life. And that's the next thing we see in this text, the next two verses, 7 and 8. And he talks here, I want to mention this before we read the two verses, like two, about two different pieces or types of ground. Verse 7, for the earth, talking about the soil itself, which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. Now that's a beautiful picture of the earth. It's got seeds sown and it's raining. They're drinking in the rain. They're bringing forth herbs and it's, it's just being blessed of God. But verse 8 says, But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end, notice this, is to be burned. So you get, he's talking about those who hear and they may not receive it. They're enlightened. Maybe they've even made a, some kind of a decision. But there's really no fruit in their life. And now he gives this illustration. It's sort of like a parable of two types of soil. The first one brings forth fruit. It receives blessing from God. There's fruit in its life. And you sh I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think about the parable of the sower. The good seed was sowed on four different kinds of soil. But only one of them produce fruit and when the seed is sown in good soil it brings forth fruit and I believe this parable the first part of it verse uh, 7 there is talking about those who are truly saved they receive the word of God into their lives there's genuine fruit and by the way the fruit that's produced is not us producing as we heard recently in a message it's God producing it through us he produces the fruit and if he's living in you and he's producing fruit through you, that fruit won't just be on Sunday morning. You won't, we won't just have a different nature on Sunday morning. It'll be every day wherever we are. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but it's because God is living in us. He's changing our life. And so, so this first one produces genuine fruit. Is there fruit in your life? Can you look at something in your life, your attitude, your language, you know, your character, and say, you know, I know this is evidence of what Christ has done in my life. I've not just reformed, he's changed my life. But notice the next one in verse 8. This is a soil that bears thorns and briars. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. There there's no fruit, there's just, there's just a thicket and thorns and briars. I never hear people around here talk about briars much, but where I came from, they talk about briars a lot. They have them. I think they just call them something else. They call them, you know, thorns. And, but I'm telling you, this, this is a different kind of situation here. This is not producing good herbs, good fruit. This is, and, and where are the problem? The problem is not with the seed. The problem is with the soil. When it doesn't produce the right kind of fruit, the good seed is sown, but their life is producing thorns and briars. Christ is wor not working in their life. They, they, this person had the opportunity to hear the word of God. They were exposed. This person back up earlier. 
they, they were exposed to light, exposed to power, but they didn't really take it in. They didn't really receive it. They only tasted of it, and all they're producing is thorns and briars. So that's all, to me, all of that precedes what we read in the beginning in verse 9. So let's look there in verse 9. It says, Beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. We're persuaded something better than thorns and briars. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. We're, we're persuaded of something better than, than just religion. We, you know, he's speaking directly about the fruit of being saved, about how God changes our life. We're persuaded means we're convinced of better things. You know, we ought to want better things of ourselves. We want better things from our children, better than the world can produce. And, you know, I've, I've been accused of this, and maybe you've been accused of this, or maybe you've even accused me of this, but of saying you, just, you, you, set the, you set the bar so high, you know, that nobody can really live up to it. The truth is none of us on our own can live up to what God wants from us. But we ought to be challenging ourselves for something better. We're persuaded better things for you. And we're going to talk about some of those things that he's talking about. Better, more excellent things. Things And notice what they are, verse 9. But beloved, we're persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. We, he's, you know what he said? We want, we're, pers- we're looking for the things that accompany salvation. Not the things that make salvation, but the things that will be there if you're saved. These things come, you know, it's like you get a car, you buy a car, and maybe you've done this before, and... And there are these features on it that you didn't expect or you didn't, you know, you didn't order them. They, they weren't options that you paid extra for. But you got it and they just came along with it. It's amazing what comes along with the car these days. Well, when you get saved, when I got saved, I didn't know what was coming along with it. All I knew, this is, all I knew is I wanted to be saved. I wanted, I wanted my sins forgiven. I wanted a fresh start. I did not have any idea what would come along with that. There are things that accompany salvation. And he's going to write about those things here a little further in this chapter. And one of the things is spiritual fruit that that accompanies salvation. Another thing is contrasting what we read about in 4, 5, and 6. When you get saved, you you get a faith that endures, a continuation in faith we don't have to keep ourselves saved make ourselves saved we are saved we're eternally saved and the very power that saved us keeps us and and here we are some of us 45 years later still having a desire to know the Lord still having a desire to read the word still reading this book year after year page after page still loving the Lord still still loving the story real faith does not fizzle out so we have a faith that continues. You know, in the parable of the sower, some soil fell, or some word, the word fell among the soil, and they received it with joy. But then they fell away. You know what? Those people weren't saved. They, they just had a, they had a happy experience. This sounds good. But I'm telling you, true faith will last. It lasts. And then we get to verse 10. It's, and I'm, I just want to kind of read it again. This is, these are all things, according to verse 9, that accompany salvation. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, 
which you've shewed toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. You know what? You know one of the fruits of salvation? You know something that accompanies salvation? Is we want to serve the Lord. We want to minister. We don't want to minister because, because we have a, some kind of a diploma that says we're a minister. We want to minister because the greatest servant who ever lived lives within us. And so that's a part, that accompanies salvation. No, I don't think anybody had to, ever one time had to convince me, boy, you need to start serving God. I wanted to serve God. And if you don't want to serve God, something is wrong. I'm not saying you're not saved, but it could be that you're not. We, we want to serve the Lord because it accompanies salvation. And, then it, and also being diligent. Look in verse 11. And we desire, the writer says, we desire that every one of you now, I wonder how many people that refers to. <laughs> every one of you. We desire that every one of you do shew the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Every one of you would be diligent unto the end. You know, Paul had a, an intense desire to be faithful up unto the end. And he was faithful up unto the end. We ought to have that same desire to be faithful... Diligence is an important thing, and diligence means you're, you're careful about it, you don't do it haphazardly. The Christian life ought to be lived with diligence. I think it's a, it's a key to success. And look what he says in verse 12. This is a continuation of the sentence in verse 11, where to be diligent, and then verse 12 says, that you be not slothful, which I think is another word, a synonym for lazy. Be not slothful. But followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It is, these are things that accompany salvation. A zeal, a zeal for the things of God ought to be, ought to be a part of our life as Christians. Zeal is a fruit of salvation. It's, a, it's an evidence of salvation. Slothfulness is the opposite of diligence. You know, it is the, I think it's, I can't say it's the nature of, I can't say it's the human nature of us to tend to be slothful, although I tend to think it is, but I am convinced that our flesh is, tends to be slothful when it comes to spiritual things. Reading the Bible, going to prayer meeting, telling people about the Lord. We're not to be slothful. You know, um, I don't have... I've never found, I've never discovered, I'd love to have one, like a sloth meter. So like this, like the thing that checks your oxygen, you could just stick your finger in there and it would tell you how slothful you are spiritually. I'd love to have one. Wouldn't it be good? I'd pass it around right now. <laughs> would you even want to know if you're spiritually lazy about, about praying, about reading the word? about trying to make disciples even in your own home? Wouldn't you want to know if you're lazy? He said, be not slothful, but notice this, but followers of them, I have those words followers of them underlined in my Bible. Don't be slothful, but be followers. And the word follower means to try to be like them, be imitators, who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Be, make sure these are your examples. Follow them, through those who through faith and patience Endure the promises. Patience is a word, another, it's like a synonym for endurance, perseverance. 
steadfastness. Who, who should you be following the example of? Now, if I were to ask you tonight to take a piece of paper and write down on the piece of paper who, you, who you're trying to imitate in your life, that would be very telling. And I think there would be people who would honestly say, they would truthfully say and sincerely say, well, I'm not trying to follow anybody. And the reality is, the Bible tells you right here, you ought to be following people. You ought to be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We ought to follow the example of those who are continually serving the Lord. And so ask yourself, who are you following? I would be, I'm not a betting man, but I would be willing to make a pretty hefty wager. There, there are people in here, I'm thinking more about men, really, because I know men, I think, better, who would say, I'm not, I just follow Jesus, I don't follow anybody. Well, I'm going to tell you, you're wrong. And I'm, I'm basing that on the Word of God. The Bible commands you to be a follower of certain kinds of people. And those kind of people would be people who would, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. And I would just, and by the way, I think it'd be a good thing as parents to encourage our children to be followers of the right kind of people. Follow after men or women who love the Lord, men or women who serve the Lord, men or women who, who you can tell they're trying to be Christ-like. So all of these things go back to verse 9, I believe, where it says, we're persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation. These are things that accompany salvation. Now I want to go back to verse 10, and I want to just spend our remaining moments on that and talking about this. It's a, it's a wonderful verse. Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. And I want you, as you read this tonight, as I read it, I'm think, when I read this, I'm not thinking about your work. I'm thinking about my work. God is not unrighteous to forget your work. So think about your work, your service for the Lord. This is written to a bunch of believers. God is not unrighteous to forget your work. You know, I was, being proud is probably not a good way to say it, but I was, I was very, very pleased with a lot of people who were serving around here during this conference, and I'm especially thinking about young people. And, it, and I'll tell you, that's your work. You did that. Nobody did that for you. You did that. Um, so God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shewed toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Now, we did a series. Some of you would remember it um, a year or so ago on serving. We talked about uh, ministry and serving, and we talk particularly about, about deacons and what deacons are. The word there that's translated as minister, you see that in verse 10, it's mentioned twice. You have ministered and you do minister. It's the word diaconio. It's where we get the word deacon. And it's, a, it's like an attendant. It's like a table waiter. And that's not a real glamorous position, is it? No offense if you're a table waiter. But uh, people make good money if they're a good waitress or a good waiter. But that's what this word is. It's like a, a table waiter. It's like one who serves. And we could look at that and say, well, that's kind of demeaning. But that's what Jesus was. He was a, he was a servant. That's what the Apostle Paul was. He was a servant. 
That's what the deacons were. They were servants. All of us are to be ministers. All of us. I'm sure this is true of Pastor Weiss, and, and I'm sure maybe uh, Jason or Justin, but sometimes people ask us, are you a minister? <laughs> and, you know, they're thinking you're a preacher. But all of us are to be ministers. All of us are to be servants. We're going to come back here to Hebrews, but let's go to a couple of places. Go all the way over to the book of Ephesians, to some of the most famous verses in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2. It's about salvation. It's about the gift of God, which is salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. Ephesians 2, 8. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything, work, any kind of work to be saved. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. We don't work to be saved, but when we get saved, it's because he does a work in us. We are his workmanship. We are a work in progress. You are a work of God. For we are his workmanship, created in, unto, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. That doesn't mean we're saved by works. We're saved to do good works. Everybody that's saved is to be doing good works. Everyone that's saved. God saved us to do a work in us. God saved us. Salvation is a work. But that work means he's going to do a work through us. And those works are his plan. Look in verse 10. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. All of us, every last one of us that are saved, are to be servants. We're to be ministers. Don't, I mean, I hope you're convinced of that. You could be sitting here tonight, and I don't know if this is true of anybody, but you could be sitting here tonight and saying, uh, you know, I know I ought to be serving the Lord, but I'm not serving the Lord. Well, then we could work on that. But if you're sitting here thinking, I'm saved by the grace of God, and God doesn't really want me to serve Him, you're thinking something that is contrary to the Scripture. We're saved to serve, all of us. Let's go to another passage. We're going to head back toward Hebrews, but we're going to stop at Titus on our way. Titus, another great verse about salvation. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. I love this verse. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. God didn't just, it's not just going to reveal the plan of salvation to a select group. It's revealed to all men. Now notice it, this, there's a comma at the end of verse 11. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, this is what God's grace that brings salvation teaches us. Now look up here for a moment. God's, God is not a respecter of persons. God is not selective and say, well, I'm going I'm to save this person, but I'm going to teach him certain things. But I'm going to save this person, but I'm not going to, I don't want him to know those things. Not God. God teaches us the grace of God that brings salvation 
Whoever's saved, the grace of God that brings salvation, teaches us things. Now what does it teach us? Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, sentence continues, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Isn't that an amazing thing? The grace of God that brings salvation teaches us that God is wanting us to be a people zealous of good works. If you're sitting here as a child, a teenager, an adult, and you're saved, God wants you to be zealous of good works. Zealous means you're passionate about it. Now, if, if we're not, I'm not saying any of us are not, but I'm assuming that some of us might not be. If we're not, then we ought to be saying, God, I want this. You saved me for this purpose. The grace of God teaches me that I ought to be zealous of good works. And God, we know this, and I'm not going to go there and link any link, but we don't all have to do the same thing, but all of us have something to do. All of us. This is, we're to be ministers. And let's go back to Hebrews chapter 6 for a moment, and then we're going to look at another verse or two. <laughs> Hebrews 6, 12, 10, this is, says that uh, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you've shewed toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Now, I think it's interesting to note that this is talking about ministering to the who? Saints. It's not ministering to the lost. Now, we are to minister to the lost. We ought to, we ought to minister to the lost by meeting them where they are, by, by having a good testimony before them, by sharing the gospel with them, by building bridges into their life for the sake of evangelism. We ought to be ministering to the lost, but this passage is about ministering to the saints, to Christians, to the people of God. Every one of us, ought to be thinking about this. What does it mean to minister to the saints? You know, you can read in the, in the New Testament of how churches would um, take up special offerings in Europe for the saints in Jerusalem who were struggling. They were ministering to the saints. And the book of Hebrews there is where they uh, ministered to, I mean, the book of Acts, uh, when they ministered to the widows, they're ministering to the saints. Saints need ministering too also. My mind goes to, to Rita and how the, the Lord used people in our church to invite Rita to come and, and Rita came to church faithfully. She was looking for an invite to church. My wife and I were reminiscing about that today. And she started coming and she fit right in and joined the church. And, and then it wasn't more than just a few weeks ago that after going home, after a Wednesday night service, uh, she was talking to Carol and she said she wasn't really saved and she got saved there. We've ministered to her. We've taken her. I'm talking about we as a church. We've taken her to doctor's appointments and taking food to her, ministering to the saints. 
This, this I'm not saying that's all we minister to, but that's what this is talking about, and I think we ought to all take, that, take heed to that. If you look at there in verse 10, it says, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. It's work. It's a labor of love. We do it because we love the Lord. As a matter of fact, it says that in verse 10. You've showed toward His name. You do, we do that toward the Lord. We do it in the Lord's name. That's what ministry is about. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. That's ministry. Helping them. I ponder sometimes. I wonder, you know, why... Why it is that some people who are saved just never seem to show an interest in really joining hands with us and ministering to other people. And I don't know, but if we're saved, we do it in His name. It's, it's for the Lord. We do it because of the Lord. And it's not because we want anything for ourselves. We don't need any recognition. We don't want any recognition. We don't do it for ourselves. We don't do it so people will recognize us. We do it for the Lord. If you were here at the conference, you know, we, we honored two preachers, gave them a, a plaque and honored two preachers who've been faithful servants of the Lord for over 50 years. We, you know, we ought to honor people, shouldn't we? I think we should. But it's not about us. We don't serve so somebody will recognize us. We don't serve so somebody will pat us on the back. We don't have to be a big fish in a little pond. We just, we just want to serve the Lord together. And we're better together. And this is an encouragement for, to, to minister to the saints and to maintain these good works. Hold your finger right here, and we're going to come right back to this. But turn to the left just a few pages. We were in Titus a moment ago. But I want us to look at um, one verse in the last chapter of Titus that I just think is such a wonderful verse. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8. You might mark this verse. This would be a great verse to memorize. This is a faithful saying. It's a faithful saying. And these things, these things, Paul writes, I will that thou affirm constantly. Keep remembering it. Keep affirming it. And what is it that they should do constantly? That they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. It's good and profitable to maintain good works. If, you, if you're serving the Lord, uh, any, many people in this room could say this. If you've ever been to a nursing home service, if you've ever gone to the jails and prisons or those kind of services, if you've done a funeral service, Often you'll find that you go in there to minister to them and you come out of there feeling like you've been ministered to. It's, not, it's good for them if you minister. It's good for you if you minister. These things are good and profitable. It would be, you, would be, you would enjoy your Christian life better if you would make yourself a servant of others. Become a servant. Ministering to the saints. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 6. These are things that accompany salvation. That's why it says in verse 9, and things that accompany salvation. And one of the things that accompany salvation is being a servant. You've heard me say this so many times. 
But I just thank God for the first time someone asked me to get involved in ministry. Brother Murray, now this wasn't the first time he asked me to do anything. He asked me to paint his house. Judy remembers a lot of stuff he asked me to do. She, I, she was freaked out. This long-haired hippie guy comes to her house. That was me. But he approached me. Think about this. He approached me on an, in an evening service. I think it was Sunday night. I'm not 100% sure, but it was an evening service. He approached me and said, would you think about getting involved in the bus ministry? Just try it. And I hadn't been saved hardly any time. I didn't think I was called to preach. I was just, I was, you can't imagine what a culture shock it was for me to be in a group of people like you. But you know what? I said, I'll do it. It changed my life. Changed my life. Seeing those kids throw donuts at each other on the way to church changed my life. We started a brand new route in a kind of a lower economic section of wasn't wasn't there on the church. The church was in a pretty high class area, at least medium class. This was not, but boy, we. I'm just telling you. You know what helped me? You can you can minister to people. Some of, some there are probably people in this room that really don't even know what that's about. Now you, I'm not talking about just witness to them. That's a good thing too. Get should give them a golf. That's a good thing. That's not ministering to the saints. That's not trying to help a person grow. That's not staying with a person and getting involved in their life and trying to. That's this is ministering to people. So these are things that accompany salvation. And notice what it says in verse ten. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. It would be unjust, it would be unrighteous if God forgot. People may forget. People may not notice. I may not notice. But God will never forget what's done in a labor of love to minister in His name. I was thinking about this today as I was going over this passage again. I wonder if it's unrighteous for on our part if we never remember things that people have done. It would be unrighteous for God to forget. And that and therefore I say it's good to remember, like we did these two preachers. It's good to, it's good. They didn't do it to be recognized. I mean, 50 years ago. 50 plus years ago when these men started praying, they didn't do it thinking, boy, one of these days they're going to pat me on the back. You know you know what they said? I'm going to start serving the Lord. And I told Brother Waymire this, 83 years old, I told him, what we're doing is nothing compared to what I think he'll receive someday from the one that it really matters. But I'm just saying it's good. It's not a bad thing to recognize people. And... This kind of ministry not only will be recognized, but it'll continue. Look in verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you've showed, past tense, 
you have showed toward his name in that you have, past tense, ministered to the saints and do minister. You have ministered and you do minister. It's a continual thing. We continue to minister. And I just want to close by saying a lot of that took place this past few days in our church of ministering to the saints. Ministering. Serving God's people. And I watched, and you would if you were here, dozens of our people every day. I mean, we had four or five men who took off. One of them is Brother Albrecht because he's on permanent vacation right now. But another four guys or so that took days off from work just to be here every day, all day. It wasn't because they were bored. It wasn't because they didn't have anything else to do. It's because they wanted to minister to people. They wanted to be a servant, to be a blessing. And I thank God for that. To me, it's like girding yourself with a towel. And if, if you saw some of the messes that had to be cleaned up, you would say, matter of fact, I said to one guy, I can't promise you, but I believe you're going to get a reward in heaven for this. <laughs> Can I tell you tonight, none of us are too good for stuff like that. None of us. We're not too good to set up chairs or cook meals or wash the table or clean up after somebody. We're not too good for that. If you're too good for that, you're too good. We're servants. That's who we are. Getting here early, staying late. I see our guys that are on the security detail outside. The, everybody else is listening to the singing and rejoicing and listening to the sermons and they're outside somewhere watching over the parking lot. And, and by the way, that's something a lot of people could do. I just thank God for people who want to serve, who are willing to serve, people caring for the children, people in hospitality, just welcoming people. We couldn't do this if it wasn't for our church. You know, you could have a, some guy could come up with the idea, hey, let's, let's have a conference. Let's do this. Let's, we'll have 20, we're going to feed all these 150 people six times. We can do that, can't we? The ideas are cheap. It takes work to make it happen. And I just thank God for people. And I'm saying this on the heels of this meeting because if Jesus doesn't come back, we may do this again in two years. Don't, if, you didn't, if you missed it this time, don't miss it that time. You, the best prayer, I'm telling you, I'm, not, I'm just saying this because it's true. Men my age came up to me and said, I think this is the best conference I've ever been to in my life. And it wasn't because we entertained them, it's just because they felt loved and, and, and ministered to and the preaching and the singing was, was spot on and the choir did an excellent job. I'm just telling you, it's a good thing to serve the Lord. And God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you've shewed toward his name. I'll tell you, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes and missed, missed the ball a lot of times in all these years of ministry, but I'll tell you this, and I mean this, 
I've never regretted one time serving the Lord, doing something I felt like the Lord wanted me to do for somebody else. This is the best life there is. By the way, if you read that again in John chapter 10 where Jesus washed the disciples' feet and he said, I'm doing this for an example to you. And then he said this, happy are you if you do this. Make yourself a servant. The world and the flesh wants to go through life wanting everybody to do for us, do for us, do for us. But Jesus in us wants us to do for others, do for others, do for others. Amen.